Welcome to the Pubcast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Hi, so this is Allison Rassicott. Um, I'm a senior at Emerson. And for my podcast, I interviewed Jeff Ulrich, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Earwolf Podcasting Network, which I was so ridiculously excited to talk to him because Earwolf produces two of my favorite podcasts, um, Comedy Bang Bang and Improv for Humans. And he was really, really nice and really cool. So I hope you enjoy. Bye. So I'm all yours. Okay. Well, thank you so much for doing this again. This is awesome. Of course. No, I'm really flattered that you would want to talk to me. It's, uh, I don't know, sorry, I'm like kind of nervous, but... Um. Oh, don't be nervous. <laughs> you know, when, when, I was, when I was in high school and college, I called, I can't even tell you how many people trying to get interviews, trying to get jobs that I wasn't qualified for. Um, I once had to do a big paper that I had... Um, it was about the Major League Baseball and policy. And oh, I wanted man. to be a general manager. And of course, I didn't start it until the day it was due and realized that I needed three sources. Oh, that sucks. So instead of doing what I should have done, which was just like going to the library and writing a boring paper and getting three sources, I called Bud Seeley, who is the commissioner of Major League Baseball, <laughs> and two of the general managers and got quotes from them really? as sources for my paper. Oh, that's and so cool. I, uh, you should definitely always reach out to, to anybody, especially when you're younger, because you'd be shocked how many people are happy to help out people in college and trying to get started. Oh, that was so cool. Like, I was like, I don't know, I figured it was a long shot on Twitter, but I was like, oh, might as well give it a try. But oh, You're very sweet. <laughs> I guess uh, my first question is, how did you and Scott get started in like podcasting and sort of getting into the industry? Well, Scott, Scott was doing a show before he and I ever met. Um, he had started his show as kind of like an internet radio show at Indie1031.com here in L.A. And they basically just kind of said like, oh, well, we're putting it out as a podcast. And Scott had kind of known what that meant because he had, he was friends with Jimmy Pardo who had already oh, okay. had we're not funny um, but he wasn't really familiar with it too much and he just kind of went along with it and then I got involved because I was a business manager and one of my clients was Jerry Miner who guest hosted Scott's show I think it was episode 44 and Scott was out of town and that's why Jerry was guest hosting. So he asked me if I wanted to go with him to the recording. And I, I did. And I wasn't really enjoying being a business manager. So I was kind of trying to figure out what the next thing I was going to do was. And I started asking the engineer a bunch of questions about the show. and Because I had just started listening to podcasts myself a couple months before that. Um, I started listening to WTF and This American mm -hmm. Life. And when they had just, WTF had just started. And uh, so I was generally interested in podcasts. And I found out that the show had gotten a million downloads in the first nine months without any marketing of any kind. It was just kind of word of mouth. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of people who really care about this. 
um, even though it was hard for them to, yeah. to find it. Um, there's something here, you know, I'm not, I'm not the only one who likes this kind of a thing. And, um, so I kind of, uh, there was a bunch of things that happened in conversations, but ultimately it was, uh, Scott and I met with Jerry and the engineer and talked about the show and it was at my apartment. It was actually, it was March 10th, 2010 was the first time we met here. And then I pitched him on the idea of me managing his show, essentially trying to put some structure and organization around it and market it and, and possibly even try and make some money off of it. And he was like, yeah, that all sounds great. I'm going to South by Southwest. Why don't we meet here in two weeks and we can talk about the details. So those two weeks went by and it was actually just the third anniversary of that was Sunday. And I, uh, I kind of switched it. Um, I bait and switched him and in those two weeks, I put together a 14-page presentation that I just looked at the other day and sent to Scott. I, I emailed him, and I'm like, number one, I can't believe that I thought this was a good presentation. <laughs> number two, I can't believe that you, you agreed to do what I suggested because it was foolish. Um, and, and number three, I, oh, my God, I can't believe it's been three years, you know? Yeah. And, this presentation is so embarrassing. Like I can't imagine ever showing it to anyone else because it was just so bad. But um, the presentation was essentially me describing what what Earwolf is, um, <clears throat> and kind of trying to sell Scott on the idea of let's not just do this for your show, but let's build a, a support system and an infrastructure to support a lot of shows, um, and basically be the place where people come to just to just have fun with their friends. They don't have to worry about recording software or editing or websites or apps or merchandise or ad sales or iTunes or any of it. You know, you just mm -hmm. kind of let people like Paul Shear to show up and do what they do best, which is which is be really funny. And and he's like, yeah, that sounds great. So that was a, we had two, two hour meetings. So we had spent about four hours with each other and pretty much decided to do this. And I was like, well, we should at least like go have dinner or something. Like, I don't even know you. <laughs> um, so we went and had dinner and passed the smell test and decided, okay, let's start this business together. That's awesome. It's like, I don't know, just the way you were describing it with like, everybody just like having a good time and stuff like all the ones that I listen to like it sounds exactly like that like it just seems like this like hangout session that you get to listen in on well I think I I think that that's the key it's like that's kind of our philosophy we have, we have philosophy um, and you know part of it is that we always say we don't discuss comedy we create it mm -hmm. like we had five million downloads a couple of well, a month, but I'm referring specifically to looking at December's numbers. And three million of those five million came from episodes that had not been released in December. So that's crazy. Was people listening to essentially what is our archives? Mm -hmm. And that's like when people say, "Well, how is podcasting different from radio?" There's there's part of your answer. Yeah. Radio is disposable. You know, talk radio is disposable. 
it's you know essentially people having conversations of the day that um, are, tend to be well they are what they are you know it's here today gone tomorrow mm-hmm. tomorrow something else to talk about um, we try to create more evergreen comedy so even when you have a show like you know Scarborough Country where they're talking about sports stories from that week you know they're not really talking about the sports story. It's a, the story is used as a vehicle for their comedy and for their worldview and to, to get more information out of their guest. Yeah. And so I always say, like, the mark of a great podcast, like when we're doing a pilot or something and I'm listening to it and I'm trying to figure out if, if it's something we want to produce or not, it's always like with Randy and Jason, you know, there's, there's shows about sports. If I listen to that show and I want to go have a beer with those guys and watch the Michigan game with them, then it's a good show. Mm-hmm. You know, like with Comedy Bang Bang, you have to feel like you're in your your funniest friend's high, in high school's basement, and you're there. Just everybody's having a great time goofing off. Only they're like infinitely funnier than your friends than you ever were. <laughs> uh, you know, Professor Blastoff. You have to kind of in like some bohemian you know coffee shop sipping herbal tea and talking with david and kyle about you know existentialism mm-hmm. that's stuff like nerd poker you have to you have to be like dying to, to grab a mic and play along with them and when you can that where people feel like they're either a part of it or they want to be a part of it, that's when you have something really special yeah, definitely. I think like I I think you guys definitely have that. So, like I was so bummed when um uh Comedy Bang Bang had the live tour over the summer and I couldn't make it to the Boston show cuz it just like it seemed like such a cool way to just hang out with everybody and stuff. Yeah, and it's great when you get to, you know, it's pretty isolating or or singular, you know, it, it's not the kind of thing where you know, people don't get together to listen to a podcast like it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. When you get to get together with people at a live show, it's great because you get to actually enjoy it with people who have the same ability as you and kind of connect to people in a way that, that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I guess uh, the next one is um, in the early days of Earwolf, how hard was it for you guys to find sponsors for the different podcast episodes? Yeah, I mean, it was impossible. Um, uh, and and the idea of like using the word find, um, that's kind of comical at this point because, <laughs> I mean, the truth is is that I didn't really do much in the way of outbound sales calls, and even when I did, it never worked, um, which is why I stopped doing that. It ultimately, I don't know how we survived. Like I should just look at our accounting, but we somehow survived for about a year when we really had almost no advertising, and then. It started coming to us mostly through um, through emails. That really was the turning point. Was when I stopped spending my time trying to convince people who didn't get it to advertise with us, and instead, I just really tried to treat the people who did want to be working with us as good as I possibly could, and that meant improved reporting and improved communication and really working with the hosts to coach them through how to do a great read and at the same time trying to maintain everyone's integrity by said no to a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And we can still do. We say no to more money than we make, but we have to make sure that, that the sponsors fit the shows and that the hosts feel comfortable doing, you know, their personal guarantees, really. You yeah. know, if, if the host thinks that Squarespace stinks, then they're not going to talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, it was hard and it took a long time and I completely failed in the idea of finding sponsors. Um, but ultimately, I just got money and enough people contacted us directly. That's cool. Hmm. We read an article in class that you wrote about um, the future of podcasting in 2013. And it said that you had plans for launching um, an ad marketplace that you mentioned in the article. Um, I just like wasn't really sure what that meant when I read the article. So I guess if you could go into more detail on that. Sure. So advertising has been growing for the podcasting industry. Um, from what I can tell, starting in like the summer of 2012, things got a little bit easier for us. And, you know... It, we tried to kind of keep doing what we were doing, but doing it a little bit better. So um, we hired someone else to help with our service of our advertisers, and we kept our reporting really tight. And as things kind of started to grow, we heard more and more that people were really happy with the way we, we worked with them and that we were kind of doing it better than, than most everybody else. And so that, of course, is nice to hear, and it made us feel good, but it got me thinking that maybe we should kind of try and leverage what we were already doing. But I really wasn't in a position to do that yet. I didn't know enough. I didn't have enough connections. And I wasn't really sure that I had time to do it. So I kind of ignored that gut feeling for a little while. And then as it kind of continued, and it didn't start to slow down, but it kept growing, um, and there were more and more people contacting me, uh, it was like the end of November, and I had four different sponsors contact me about trying to buy ads for non-Earwolf shows. And the funny thing was that they knew that I didn't sell these shows, but they liked the fact that how we did our reporting and how we communicated. Um, And so they wanted to basically use us to buy these other podcasts, including Jordan, Jesse Go, and Nerdist. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the final straw where I was like, you know what, there's a general problem here that I think I know how to solve. I have enough contacts with the advertisers that work well for us now, and I have a lot of friends who are podcasters who have shows that I like, and they're having a hard time making money. Let's just do it. So the idea is that we connect podcasters with advertisers and and help them administer the process. So we provide the reporting structure. Um, we, we provide a messaging system. Um, the advertisers can upload copy. Um, the podcasters can upload the audio clip of the ad. It's called an air check because believe it or not, some of the biggest podcast sponsors out there actually employ people full time mm-hmm. to just listen to podcast all the day, all day long, to make sure that the podcast that they bought ads on actually ran the ad. Hmm. So our system pr- removes that that problem because you can just go in and you sign in and you click the play button and you can listen to the spot that you paid for. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of it's called the mid roll. You can you can check it out. It's live now. The midroll.com. We've got about thirty shows. 
I think, 12 or not here shows. The other ones are. And we've got uh, You Made It Weird uh, with Pete Holmes and mm-hmm. in, with Kamal. And there's uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour with Paul Martin. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Dan Savage's podcast, Savage Love, which is a really big show. Um, and a three from All Things Comedy. So we've got a pretty good uh, group of, of shows to start with. And I'm happy to say that uh, we've already sold $100,000 in ads for those shows, for the non-Earwolf shows, um, for Q2. And overall, I think we're almost at 500000 for the second quarter for ad sales for all of the podcasts. Oh, that's so awesome. Really happy about that. It's a huge growth from what we did the first quarter and from the fourth quarter. And we're just going to try and keep keep growing, adding more sponsors and adding more shows and just kind of keep making it better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Let's see. Uh, I said, like, you have um, two of your own podcasts that you host on Earwolf. And I just didn't know if, like, when you first got into it, if you wanted to host your own podcast because you said you were, like, a fan of, like, Marin and stuff like that. So, like, if that was something you wanted to do when you first started or if it just sort of gradually came about as you stayed in the business? Um, that's a good question. I mean, both of those shows are pretty much defunct at this point. <laughs> um, and, no, like, so actually before I even started Earwolf and even met Scott, I was thinking about starting my own podcast for the business management thing where, like, you know, I would have one of my comedian clients come on and then I would have, say, like a casting director on or an accountant or whatever, and I would moderate the conversation between the two of them because there's kind of like a really, there's a big lack of knowledge about how this stuff works amongst the talent community. So I thought it would be a great way to share information. And I actually was going to record that out of Jason Nash's house. And that came about like right before I met Scott. And I kind of put that then on the side burner because I started working on Earwolf and never did it. Um, So I started the Wolf Den more or less as a way to communicate with our hardcore fans without interrupting the shows themselves. Because before I started the Wolf Den, if I had a message to get out, I would have to email Scott or tell Scott and say, hey, you you know, say this on the show today. Or ask people to go fill out this form if they want to help us build our website or, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it worked fine, but we got to the point where we actually had enough listeners and enough shows and enough people who cared about what we were doing that I felt like it made more sense to just isolate that stuff and do it in its own show. On top of it, it was a great excuse for me to sit down and talk to either people I already knew about what they were doing or to meet new people and to kind of get smarter. So I did that for, I want to say about a year and I really enjoyed it. I missed doing it. It just got, it got hard to keep up with and ultimately got hard to book. And a lot of times I had, um, when I stopped doing it, we had gone through like a really rough period of, of turnover with our staff and the truth was I didn't want to talk about it because it was sense a lot of it was sensitive and it wasn't my place to kind of like have that conversation you know what I mean like yeah kind of one-sided thing and of course like there's two sides to every story and it was just a rough time mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like getting on the mic and talking about the 
the shit that was happening that I couldn't really talk about anyway. So I just decided to take a break, and then I just I got really busy, and I didn't I didn't go back. Um, and then Love Dad really was just very self indulgent. You know, I had a baby, and I I knew I wasn't gonna write a journal or do any of that stuff, and I wanted her to have a record of how ridiculous I was when I tried to figure out how to be a dad. And so I just, like I told Scott, like, if you can't, you know, abuse the company resources, what's the point of having a company? So I just said, I'm going to do this, this show and it doesn't really fit Earwolf necessarily. And I don't really care. I just, if, if no one listens, but I have a record of, of going through what I'm going through so my daughter can laugh at me 30 years from now, I'm going to do it. So I, uh, I hung out with Keckner one night backstage at UCB and he was giving me some great dad, uh, dad advice. So I called him up and I said, you want to do a podcast about being dads? Cause he's got five kids <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's do it. So we started it. And again, it was great fun. Um, I learned a lot about being a dad, and I really wish I still did it. But Dave, Dave's, you know, out of town for like four months shooting Anchorman Two, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it by myself. Like for for a while, I was doing it, booking the guests myself, and just kind of doing it that way. And it was still fun, but it's really hard. You know, we we got the regular podcasting business, and we started a television development and production company, and we started themidroll.com. So I'm kind of running three businesses all at once and trying to be a dad and a husband. And it just got to be too much to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I remember when I first heard about um, Love Dad, I thought it was such a cute idea. And then like hearing you say how it was supposed to be like kind of an audio like baby book. Like it's just I don't know. It's it's such a cute idea. Like I like it a lot. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I, it turned out to not be exactly what I planned it to be because it turned into more like talking to the guests about things rather than sharing about what I was going through or what Dave was going through. Mm-hmm. And that, which is fine. The reason was because there's only so much to share. Like, you know, your baby doesn't grow up, you know, overnight. It kind of it takes time and you don't always have like these big moments to discuss every week. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I wish I could keep doing it, but mm-hmm. there's something like 20, 22 episodes that she can listen to and hear hear me as a younger man trying to figure out what it means to be her dad <laughs> let's see uh this is from a few months ago but um w- like what was your reaction with the whole like personal audio suing like corolla and like the stuff you should know guys like was that scary or is it still like a relevant topic at all or yeah it's still relevant um and it's still scary. The, I mean, we, a bunch of us got together and met uh, a couple weeks ago to talk about it. We're trying to figure out a plan of kind of a general defense tactic. I mean, it's not going to just go away because no one's writing an article about it. No, it's really scary. And I don't... I'm reluctant to talk much about it because, you know, we don't have a lawyer and what's going to get you in trouble. Um, at the same time, you know, I, it drives me crazy. I mean, the idea that somebody can just come and take away everything that I've worked for doesn't feel right. It certainly doesn't feel 
capitalistic or American. Um, and it kind of upsets me that we are now in an environment where creators are at risk because of an antiquated patent system. I'm sorry, Alex. I wish I could talk more about it, but I should probably not. Oh, yeah. No, that's totally fine. Sorry. It's okay. And I guess uh, my last question was, how do you feel about people who charge for their podcasts or like subscribing to it? Like I know like Marin or Jimmy Pardo do it to get like premium access and stuff. And I know you guys do like donations and everything, but did you guys ever consider doing like paid subscriptions? Well, I'll be very careful. So how do I feel about people who pay, who charge for their podcasts? I love them because Jimmy Pardo and Mark Marin are two of my oh, favorite. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, but in terms of like a business model, yeah, or you want to phrase it, you know, we we pretty much categorically disagree with that motto is or uh, motto. Our pl- philosophy is, you know, as artists and as producers who enable artists, we want as many people as possible to hear what we do, mm-hmm. and paywalls are in direct competition to that. So. Really, at the end of the day, we just figure it's our job to figure out how to monetize our shows while keeping them free so that as many people as possible can enjoy them. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to make any never statements or anything like that because you never know. I mean, sure, Scott's got, what, 210 episodes out or something like that? It's really the end of the world if we put 160 behind a paywall and still leave 50 up for free. Yeah. Not really. But... I think it's something that we're kind of trying to avoid for as long as we can. And luckily the ad sales have picked up so that we don't have to worry about, we're never going to try and grab every last dollar. So it's a really good way to avoid doing that. That was just something. Cause like, I remember when I f- was first getting into podcasts, like I got a little confused that like some were charging and some weren't. And I always like wanted to listen to everything. So I got like confused on like who was charging and who wasn't. So. Well, the thing is, is that podcasters are, in essence are a victim of themselves because I'm sorry, podcast listeners, podcast listeners tend to be what we call completionists. So if they find something they like, you know, if, if the first episode you've ever listened to of Scarborough country was episode 31 with Pat and Oswald, then you're going to listen to the first 30 within the next couple weeks. You may not get enough sleep. You're going to be bad at your job. You know, you're going to neglect your, your girlfriend, whatever it takes. But you're going to listen to those 30 episodes yeah. and hand back to something that you like exists that you haven't consumed yet. And because of that, it kind of works both ways. Like there's, that's why there's an argument that Scott and I make, which is why charge for it? It's people still want to listen to it today just because we recorded it two years ago doesn't mean, you know, it's the whole like, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the same token, you can say, well, yeah, guess what? If I, if I hook them on episode 112, then why not charge them for episodes one through, through 50? Like, you know, they still get 62 for free. And I know that they can't handle not listening to them all. So why not charge for it? I, we just kind of, we take the, the first approach. Yeah, because I know, like, I have, like, at least a couple hundred episodes of different podcasts, because I, like, when I find one I like, I need to start from the beginning to go through them, just like you said. Yep. Yep. You have a lot of company. We did a survey for the mid-roll, 
And let me pull up the, re the results real quick for you. There were like 17 questions analyzing different things, behavior and demographics and stuff like that. And we've gotten a little over 13,000 responses so far. And so 90% have gone to college. 70% um, are not married. Big shocker. <laughs> uh, the question is, how sad would you be if the show did not exist? And 27.5% uh, said inconsolable. 48% oh. um, said very sad. 18% said briefly melancholy. 6% said I cope. And one half of a percent said I don't care. Pretty amazing how many people feel that strongly. Another thing that was funny was how much do you trust the show host, to be honest with you? And 22.5% uh, said sadly more than anyone I know in real life. Oh, oh so how many, how, how many hours a week do you listen to podcasts? And I don't know, I, I was shocked to find that 72% of the people who responded listened to six or more hours a week, oh, with 23% wow. listening to 16 or more hours a week. <laughs> and then how many podcasts do you subscribe to? Um, again, similarly, we're, we're looking at 70% subscribe to six or more podcasts. And... It's just amazing how deep these connections go. Um, we're not dealing with like superficial relationships. It's it's really hardcore engagement and intimacy that the listeners have with the hosts, and it's really special. Yeah, like I remember in the article you mentioned that like um, podcast audiences like stick to the shows and the hosts, like to go to different, um, like if they go to different mediums like TV and stuff. Yeah, it's. Sticky, yeah, is, is I think the word, and they are. I mean, they're just they really they they love their hosts, you know, and and not everyone, of course, you know. It's like we're definitely in a niche here, but the people who love it love it, and they're definitely supportive of most any project that you do. Mm -hmm. That was the last question I had. So, unless you have anything else you wanted to add to it, well, so <laughs> what is your interest in podcasting? What's this class? <sighs> Exactly. Um, it's uh, an e-publishing class. We're basically learning how to make our own websites and do like HTML and like WordPress and stuff like that. Okay. And this is Emerson. This is where Harris Whittles went to college, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. Like I went to a um, live um, Nerdist show in New York a couple years ago and uh, Jonah Ray was like, oh yeah, you're going to be like, go hang out with Harris Whittles in LA after you graduate. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of people from Emerson in the comedy world. <laughs> well, if there's anything else I can do to help, please let me know. And thanks again for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Same here. All right. Have a good night, Allison. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. This has been The Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.